Okay, hello again, everyone. Are you sick of me yet? I sure hope not because we are back. We are back with another episode here at Pillars. Of course, I am your host, Dylan Bowman. And today, I'm really happy to share a super fun conversation with British ultra runner and Canyon's 100K champion, Beth Pascal. Beth has been on an absolute tear recently in the past few years, amassing very consistent world-class performances, and it really feels to me like she is just getting started. But like Canyon's 100K men's champion, Anthony Casales, who we spoke to just a couple of days ago, I didn't know a ton about Beth going into this conversation. So I did my best to cover her story front to back. So as usual, we started talking about her background in life and sport, where she lives and trains in the UK, her progression in trail running, and especially the last few years of amazing consistency before we transition and spend the second half of the conversation focusing on her amazing Canyon's performance and the fast approaching Western States 100 where Beth will be looking to improve on her fourth place finish from back in 2019. As always, if you enjoy the show and want to support it, you can check out our app. You can share your favorite episodes with your friends and training partners, or you can leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. But thanks, as always, for being here. Please welcome the pride of Great Britain, Beth Pascal. Beth Pascal, broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm really good. Yeah, thanks, Dylan. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, yeah, it sounds sounds it hasn't, hasn't really sunk in that you say I'm in Flagstaff. Um, but yeah, how cool is that? <laughs> yeah, it's so cool, and it's such a perfect training ground for Western states, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. But but first, I want to uh, you know ask the question that's going to be on everybody's mind, and that is just how you're feeling a couple of days removed from such a phenomenal victory at the Canyons Hundred K. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. I was I was sore for a few days. I think I always assumed that you know you completely trash your legs by running downhill, but we didn't get much downhill on on Saturday. It was all uphill, and turns out that can do the same thing. So, uh, but yeah, I, I'm getting there, um, and yeah, feeling the altitude up here. So it's difficult to gauge, um, you know, if I'm tired or whether it's just just the altitude making me feel a little bit, a little bit worse for wear. But, um, I'm sure it's a combination of both those things. And, uh, as you said, before we hit record, luckily you have a a little time to recover now and acclimatize to the altitude. So by the time you actually start training again, it, it probably won't be quite as painful. Um, but Beth, uh, I'm so, so excited to talk to you. I'm so excited to learn a little bit more about your story and, Obviously, most of our listeners uh, are in the U.S. We have uh, listenership across the world, but I'm sure a lot of the people who are going to be listening probably learned your name for the first time um, just this past weekend or are newly familiar with you um, going back to maybe your Western States performance in 2019. So I really want to start by just setting up your story a little bit. So whatever you uh, think is relevant in terms of your background, your childhood, where you live, what you do professionally, just kind of give us a glimpse into who uh, Beth Pascal is. Cool. Um, Yeah. So from the beginning, I 
grew up in the UK in the southwest um, and I was very active growing up I did a bit of bit of every sport really did a bit of cross-country and athletics at school but was never really that good um, I was I was okay but you know never took it I wasn't in an environment that took it that seriously uh, went to university and I was a lightweight rower for a few years and did that to quite a high level and I think that's where I got my kind of strong endurance base from and then started running ultras about seven or eight years ago I think whenever I'm asked that question I give a different number of years because it wasn't like a you know I was a runner or I wasn't a runner it kind of you know as you can imagine gradually kind of Uh um, became a bigger part of my life over a few years and yeah I would say the last three or four years been taking a bit more seriously um but it wasn't like I started running you know doing like 10ks and then built up to marathons and things it was very much I started running because I wanted to run ultras because I'd just read about it and it sounded like uh, just completely crazy so I think you know running 100 miles was one of my first races and actually since then I've had to try and dial it back a bit and and get a bit more speed back in my legs um Yeah. And uh, so aside from the running, I work as a paediatrician in the UK. Um, But right now I've got a few months off work. Uh, So, yeah, I'm I'm here in the US until Western States. Yeah. Well, well, good timing. I'm curious because I so identify with your story and that I was not a, a runner myself, but was very active, sporty person. Looking back at your experience being an athlete, but not necessarily a runner, do you think that's helped you with the success that you've had, especially recently in trail and ultra running? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I first started uh, running ultras, I really had no idea what I was doing. Um, But quite soon started to do reasonably well, albeit you know, just in in the UK. So yeah, certainly like my background must have really, really helped. And 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 even when I did like the odd cross country race as a child, like no one did any like proper training back then. But I think um I I grew up on a farm. So I was always running around chasing sheep and that sort of thing. So that was my training back then. Um so yeah, I was always, you know, one one of the faster people at school. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, same with me, you know, I was a team sport athlete, a field sport athlete, and always loved that part of sport. I I played lacrosse, which is, you know, bigger here in our country, but yeah, I always loved kind of like the, uh, the covering ground part of the the sport, but never thought I would ever be interested in running until as you described, you sort of learn about the trail and ultra races. And it was the exact same for me where it just sparked this, obsessive curiosity that's taken me now on a, a decade long journey, uh, much like yourself. So yeah, tell me a little yeah. bit about your, uh, your career as a pediatrician. Uh, I think that's super interesting. Do you work in a hospital setting or sort of what's your day to day like professionally? Yeah. So I'm a hospital based, um, so I'm a pediatric registrar. So the system is different in the UK. Um, to how it is in the US, but basically you finish, you've finished medical school and then you are on this path that is postgraduate medical training. And I think in, in the US, you maybe have three years of res- residency, but in the UK, it's, you know, after you finish medical school, it's about 10 or 15 years until you get off the, the, 
metaphorical treadmill as a as a consultant um provided you you know keep showing up to work and doing all your assessments and things so i'm yeah probably about halfway through that um and the system makes it quite hard for you to pause that at any point um but i uh, yeah i managed to do it um for a few months uh just to see where running can take me mm-hmm. um and and yeah like i think i've as you can imagine you know a lot of a lot of out of hours work sort of day to day so a lot of my work is night shifts long days that type of thing so i'm always kind of sleep deprived stressed <laughs> um and yeah i i guess i've always kind of wondered um what kind of impact that's having on my running um and whether i could be a better a better runner if i worked a bit less um and it might be that that's not the case at all but um it's always i've always kind of been curious about it um so yeah last last year i wanted to take some time off work and it didn't work out for obvious reasons um yeah. so yeah i'm here i am trying again now well, good for you. It's uh, it's really interesting, yeah, and it'll be kind of a fun experiment for you to run, whether being on your feet and in a s- slightly stressful environment, working long hours in a hospital, whether that actually helps with ultra marathon training or if it if it hinders it. It'll be it'll be interesting because you could see it going either direction. But it's great to have you here in the U.S. and it's great that you have a bit of time to to focus and be a hundred percent committed to the Western States one hundred, which will talk at length about later. But before we get to it, I, I also just kind of would love to get a visual of sort of like where you live in the UK, what your training's like. It's a place I've never visited, a place I've always wanted to go. And uh, obviously like being where you're from and having success at the races that you've done, I'm just curious what your training looks like, what kind of terrain that you have around your house and anything else that you think would paint a picture for those of us who've never had the luxury to be there to understand your neighborhood a little bit. Yeah. So I live in the Midlands, um, which, and I don't have big mountains close to home. So I have small hills. So out out of, if I run from home, I can probably run up a hundred meter, maybe 150 meter hill. If I drive an hour, I can get to a 300, 400 meter hill. If I drive three hours, I can get to a thousand meter hill. Um, so yeah, I don't live somewhere super flat. Um, mm. but, um, I think a lot of people, they look at my Instagram and think that I must live in the Lake district because all my pictures, are <laughs> uh, cause you only take pictures when you're in cool places. right? Um, <laughs> but actually day to day, like training is not as exciting as that. And certainly, um, in the last year when, you know, well over half of it, we've been in lockdown. Um, I haven't been able to travel at all. So, so yeah, um, I've just got lots of kind of countryside fields, woods, relatively tame trails to train on. Um, yeah, certainly, certainly I haven't been to the mountains since, since last probably October, November, something like that. 
mm-hmm. with with the exception of the Salomon training camp <laughs> a couple of weeks ago in the Canaries. Oh right, yeah, I yeah. saw I yeah. saw your guys' uh, social media <laughs> from that. That looked like a quite a week of training and probably uh, set you up really well for canyons. And and we can talk about that in a second. But it's interesting because like I I had Tom Tom Evans on the show too, and I asked him whether he felt that he was ever kind of at a disadvantage living in a place where you don't have big hills in on your daily training grounds. Um, obviously you said that you can drive to a hill that's a thousand meters, uh, but that's what I think you said three hours away. So how do you think about competing in these races? Like obviously Western States is pretty runnable. You can train for that without needing mountains nearby, but a place like UTMB or some of the other races in Europe, um, how do you think about where you live? Do you see that as a disadvantage? And if so, how do you mitigate that? Or how do you train specifically for those races? Yeah, I I don't really see it as a disadvantage. It does mean that perhaps you need to do a bit more driving at the weekends. Um, But, you know, if you live in the mountains, then it could be tempting to run up and down them every day. But but for me, you know, in the build up to a a UTMB in a normal year, I would just drive to the mountains perhaps once a week for for a couple of long runs. Um, But in between, you're kind of recovering and the home trails are fine. Um, Yeah, and for UTMB, I'd I'd usually try and get out there a month or so before and do a lap (laughs) Um, um, as a kind of final tune-up long run. Um, So, yeah, I don't don't really see it as a disadvantage. Um, And, yeah, in some ways it's good not to to have the temptation of um, running up and down a mountain out out your back door every day. Totally. Totally. So we kind of skipped over it, but I'd love to learn a little bit more about when you sort of became more serious about uh, trail and ultra running. Like when did you identify that you had talent for this sport in particular and an ambition to sort of set big goals? Uh, yeah. Like at what point did it take a bigger part in your life? And, uh, yeah. Anything else you can share from those, uh, introductory years or races or experience that you had as you were developing as an athlete? Yeah. So if I had to choose a pivotal moment, it would probably be the, in 2016, we had a British championship trail race, which was a qualifier for the like British team for the trail world championships, which were in uh, Portugal, I think that year. Um, And yeah, I guess it was the most competitive race I had done. Um, and I ended up winning that. And I think for me, that was, you know, I had won races before, but more low key races. Um, and yeah, when I won that, I thought, wow, okay. Like being, you know, wearing a GB vest and things, that's kind of cool. Like maybe I should start to take it a bit more seriously. And after that, I had got a coach for the first time and I think genuinely started to be a bit more curious about what I was doing and in how I was training and that type of thing. Um, yeah, so that, that's kind of it, I suppose. Um, yeah, but, but still was, you know, really fairly green at that stage and it's yeah, gradually kind of, um, become a bigger part of my life. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes total sense just looking at your progression as an athlete. And especially since like the 2018 UTMB, you've just been on a tear and it's been amazing to observe. And you and I don't know each other. I don't think we've ever met in person, but I've sort of been following your career from afar. And you've been on just this streak of really consistent high performance. And just so the audience has a bit of context, uh, in 2018, like I mentioned, you finished uh, fourth at UTMB. Uh, then uh, the let's see, in 2019, was it you finished fourth at UTMB in 2018? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yes. So, so so then in 2019, you finished fourth at Western States and then fifth at UTMB and then capped off the season with an amazing victory at the Ultra Trail Cape Town. In 2020, when nobody was racing, you went and set the Bob Graham round, which is obviously a legendary sort of FKT route uh, in your home country in the UK. Uh, and obviously now delivering just an insanely impressive result at the Canyons 100K here in the US. So as I said, you've been on this incredible streak of good performance and consistency. And I just wondered like to what you attributed that to, you mentioned that you sort of got connected with a coach. So I don't know, just these last like two years or so, you've really seemed to be coming into your own as an athlete and performing at like a really world-class level. And I just wondered uh, what you think you've done really well or what you attribute that to. Ah, that's a really difficult question. <laughs> um, I I think it's it, it's more than anything just years of consistency in training. Um, it's not like um, I'm doing anything different to anyone else. I don't, I don't think. Um, I've always kind of felt that like 100 miles is my is my distance, uh, and anything shorter, I'm you know it's probably not the best thing for me. But um, so yeah, I, I've kind of stuck to 100 mile distances. Um, but then actually in the last a uh, year or so, well, year and a half, I've only raced 100K and that's kind of gone well for me as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I certainly feel this year that things have, I've just felt really good and I can't exactly explain why, <laughs> um, but certainly, um, so, so I, yeah, I ran the Bob Graham round last year and I then broke my ankle in September, um, which at the time was a bit of a bummer, but actually timing wise, it was the best, you know, best, I couldn't have asked for better timing. It was just when the UK and most of Europe were kind of going into their second or third waves and everything was getting cancelled again. So I had, had a completely empty calendar anyway. Um, so yeah, I had a big break from training and then when I came back, I, it was quite evident quite quickly that I was running better. Um, yeah. And I'm not entirely sure why that, <laughs> why that is, but certainly this year I've just felt, felt really good in, in training, um, from the beginning. So hoping that I can keep that up for the rest of the year. Yeah. Well, oftentimes the injuries do sort of force the rest that allows you to freshen mm. up and, and take the next step in your career. I broke my ankle in 2020 and, uh, that certainly didn't happen for me. It took me forever <laughs> to get back to a point where, um, I felt good about my fitness and the health again and trusted my, my feet more than anything. So, I mean, but help, help me sort of, uh, understand. I mean, you mentioned your coach earlier and you said that that 
was part of after you won that race in the UK and qualified for your first national team. And that's where you started to really recognize that you had some talent for the sport and wanted to pursue it a little bit more seriously. So um, maybe give us a glimpse into some of the things that you do or some of the things that maybe your coach has brought into your training in the last few years that you think has also contributed to that uh, sort of uh, incredible streak of, of consistency. Um, so I'm, I'm not working with the same coach now that I wasn't when I first started up with the coach in 2016, but my current coach, Martin Cox, I've been with for, I'll get this wrong, maybe three years, something like that. Yeah. He's, <laughs> uh, he's kind of a legend in the mountain running game too, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, he's hugely knowledgeable and, um, yeah, it's been, yeah, he's taught me a lot about about the world of not just ultra running, but, you know, um, everything to do with running. So, so, so give us a glimpse into um, some of that stuff that he's taught you. Um, I think it's a lot about periodization and um, not doing the same type of training all year round and making sure that you have um, not necessarily a break from running, but like mix it up and and in say in the winter, I, I would usually try and do a block of a different type of training. So, so it didn't, I mean, my, my block of different type of training this year was when I was injured, but the year before it was, um, we just did a, a block of marathon training, um, over the winter months to try and get a bit of speed back in my legs. Um, and that I think set me up really well. Um, it doesn't sound like it would, but I think that set up, set me up well for the Bob Graham round. Just, just not, you know, not doing long runs in the, in the mountains all year round. Um, and yeah, just, but more than anything, just consistency. Um, and yeah, like he, he knows me so well, um, that, you know, we, we've got it quite well dialed, like how, um, how much training I can, I can, I can manage and, um, you know, how, how long, how much of a break I need after races and that type of thing. Um, so yeah, like no, nothing magic, no magic sessions, just like getting it, getting it right, getting the volume of training right. So I can kind of keep making incremental improvements. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously there's no, no magic bullet, but that's a great answer. And it actually reminds me of something that Tom Evans said as well. And that he does a lot of that sort of flatter, shorter, higher intensity training and does like specific blocks and different specific parts of the year where he focuses on developing his speed. And then when he comes back to the trail, he thinks it helps him a ton. And I think there's a lot to learn for, for athletes of, of all levels there. And you mentioned consistency and it reminded me of something else that I wanted to ask you that I think is also remarkable. And that is your UTMB consistency. So, um, in 2018, you finished fourth and you ran 26, 26, 40. So 26 hours, 26 minutes and 40 seconds. The next year in 2019, you finished fifth and you ran 26 hours, 26 and 48 seconds. So you had a, a delta of only eight seconds between <laughs> those two finishes. I, I will. No, go on. Go, well, go ahead. Go ahead. Is there, were, were they different courses? Or? Yeah, that's the caveat. They were different courses. Yeah. So yeah, 2018, that was when you were there, weren't you? We ran the 
uh, bad weather. No, that was cool. 17, 17 was the year that, that I ran and 18 oh, okay. I ran TDS. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. So we ran the bad weather course, which just skips one pass and takes a different route the last 10 miles or so to the finish. Mm-hmm. So it, so time wise, the 2019 time was slightly better. Okay. Um, yeah, but but neither, they were both very different races to me. So yeah, a complete coincidence that I ran the same, same Yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hilarious. And I know some people who've done hard rock where they run nearly the identical time and they switch, you know, they switch directions in that race too. And uh, it's just, it's just, I think, uh, pretty fascinating when that happens. And I don't know, I think uh, obviously we, we sort of touched on this earlier, but having two top five performances at the UTMB coming from the UK, I think is pretty impressive. Do you mostly attribute that to the uh, specific training that you do when you say you come to Chamonix a month ahead of time, or is there anything else that you could maybe provide insight into about how to train for a mountain race like UTMB when you live in a place uh, like you do in the UK that doesn't necessarily have easy access to mountains? Yeah, I think the big thing for me is spending time at altitude beforehand. I ran in 2017 and DNF'd with hypothermia. But in hindsight, at the time it was, I mean, I did DNF because I was cold. But in hindsight, I was really suffering with the altitude and then slowed down so much that I got really cold. Um, and it actually took me a couple of races. I'd had a terrible race at Lavaredo, um, I think it was the same year or yeah. Um, and then I, I it kind of dawned on me, and this is this is the altitude. Um so then in 2018, 2019, I came out early and yeah, spent some time staying in our van on the high passes um in the Chamonix uh, area or or you know Switzerland Italy and I think that really really helped um so but but then you know some people come from the UK the likes of Damien Hall um who just come out and have incredible races and and don't spend much time at altitude beforehand so it's a very individual thing but for me yeah. that was really really important um but also you know having the luxury of be able to come out two or three weeks early. Not everyone has that, but uh, yeah, for me, it's been worth it to take all my annual leave in one go <laughs> and, and do that. Yeah. 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 All your eggs in one basket is, as mm. we would say here in the U S I don't know if that's a, if yeah, that's yeah, a sure. <laughs> um, cool. So last thing I want to talk about before we transition and talk more about canyons and look ahead towards Western States and stuff is the Bob Graham round, which we've mentioned here a, a couple of times. Uh, why don't you just kind of describe what the Bob Graham round is for those who are unfamiliar and maybe talk a little bit about the day that you had out there where you were able to lower the established women's FKT by a huge margin. Yeah. So the Bob Graham round is a uh, loop in the Lake District in the UK of 42 summits. There is no established route. You just have to take the fastest um there's no there's no trails per se you do sometimes you're on trails sometimes you're off trails you just have to take the fastest route between the 42 summits 
Um, and yeah, there's a lot of gnarly terrain. So there's a lot of rock, there's a lot of bog, grass, um, everything really. So it's pretty technical. Um, the challenge for most people is to complete it within 24 hours. And if you, if you do that, then you can become a member of the Bob Graham club. Um, and, and yeah, there's, we don't tend to call it an FKT in, in the UK. Some people get up, the, the hardened fell runners, the older generation yes. don't, don't like this new American term being used for the, for the Bob Graham record. Um, but to me, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, yeah, so so the route is about about 60, 65 miles, something like that, with a 8,000 metres of climb. And um, yeah, so last, last year when everything was cancelled, to me it was the obvious thing to do, to have a go. It's kind of been on my bucket list of things to do, but um, yeah, kind of always put races first, I guess. Uh, yeah, so so last year in July, I, I set a new record um, of 14 hours, 34 minutes on the on the round. And uh, yeah, it was a, a pretty cool day. Um, I think, yeah, it was it was it was great. Like everything went to plan. I mean, the story of the day is kind of boring, I suppose. <laughs> there was no major drama. Um, and and yeah, it was really cool that, you know, something had finally happened. Um, <laughs> something had finally gone yeah. gone right that year um yeah and I think it, yeah it was really cool I I wasn't really expecting it to to mean that much to you know the kind of the wider public it was a big deal for me but actually the response of kind of the community and, and the wider running and even you know, non-running community were really excited about it. So that was really cool. I got to ask just because I'm so curious about this uh, maybe argument about the semantics of calling it an FKT <laughs> versus like a, a new speed record or whatever. I mean, obviously you were recognized as having run it faster than anybody else had at that time. Is there a different word that they would prefer that we use? Is there a, a different sort of British vocabulary for uh, what it means to run the fastest time around the Bob Graham round? We just call it the Bob Graham record. That, that'll do. Bob that'll Graham keep, record. Okay. That, that'll keep everyone happy. <laughs> no, <it didn't. laughs> but no, it you know it means oh, oh. exactly the same thing so it doesn't bother me either way sure i'm just an ignorant american my apologies no, to the broad bob graham community <laughs> honestly this is this has sparked up so much conversation has um, it? Yeah. last year yeah because so many of these like old fell running records were were oh, broken right. so so you're not the first to call it an fkt so and no criticism at all. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I didn't take it personally. I was just, just kidding. But anyway, it's really cool. And uh, yeah, just again, another remarkable uh, piece of what has been a couple of years of just really solid, strong, consistent performance from you. And it is a route with a lot of history and a lot of, uh, yeah, I guess, significance within the British fell running community and something that, uh, there's been a lot of great stories told about. And so it's great that you were able to make your mark on that history book as well. And, uh, yeah, kudos to you for taking advantage of it during the, the COVID year. So transitioning now to, um, you know, canyons, which I'm sure everybody is going to be very interested to hear about. Um, 
Well, I, I mean, I guess you said that you hurt your ankle after the Bob Graham round last year. So I guess let's start with sort of like the training that led into canyons this year. So maybe pick up from after you sort of got healthy again and when did canyons get on your radar and uh, when did you arrive in the U.S. and and maybe give us any sort of, uh, yeah, sort of visual into your training that you can provide. Mm. So plan A for this year was to race Lake Sonoma um, and then then Western States. But, but I, we, we should mention that you also, you didn't need the golden ticket because you are a returning fourth place finisher to yes. Western States. So you didn't need the golden ticket. You were coming over to either do Lake Sonoma or, or Canyons. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure the listeners knew that. Cool, yeah. So, so Lake Sonoma was kind of plan A, but we knew all along that we'd have to you know, deal with a certain amount of uncertainty and keep options open. So, so most of my training from kind of Christmas onwards was geared towards Lake Sonoma. Um, when Lake Sonoma got postponed, um, I had my eye on canyons, but that actually, no, I, I got an entry for Miwok 100 in the meantime, that got canceled. And then I had my eye on canyons. But the added complication was that getting into the US is not straightforward as the borders are closed. Um, so the, without going into loads of detail, like getting uh, a waiver to get into the US was a very lengthy process. And it was only about f- four weeks ago that I got um, my waiver. So I knew that I could definitely come out to Canyons. The other race I was training for simultaneously was. Uh, a race on the same day, a track centurion running track race, 100 mile track race that the 100 mile record got broken at, actually. So I was training for that and canyons <laughs> at the same time. Same, yeah. <laughs> um, and hoping that one of them was going to happen. Um, yeah, but and, and the tracks in the UK are closed well I open now but at the time they were closed so I was trying to I was running around football pitches to try and prepare my legs uh, <laughs> for the for, circular for like a hundred a hundred k of running around a track yeah um but also at the same time you know trying to get some long runs in the hills as well uh yeah so that was kind of what it looked like um, so how'd then, you get a waiver into the U.S.? I'm curious. Was it like a professional athlete waiver or how did that work to gain entry? Yeah. Um, to, to simplify it, uh, you have to go through British Athletics, who then apply to the USOPC, who if they approve it, it goes to Homeland Security. But figuring out this process, honestly, it was like a full-time job for three months, (laughs) sending emails and trying to work it out. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I knew it was possible because uh, the Hoka athletes had had got the waiver for the uh, Project Carbon X, but they hadn't hadn't done it. uh, Someone at Hoka had sorted it all out for them, so they didn't really know about the process, but Uh. I sorted it all out myself. Yeah. So when was it that you actually arrived? And, and yeah, because you, you mentioned the Hoka athletes and it reminds me, obviously, Audrey Tenge did mm. both the project carbon X and, uh, the Canyons hundred K this, this past weekend. But yeah. in, in addition to Carla Molinaro and Peter, I won't try to remember his surname, <laughs> the, okay. the Dutch, the Dutch guy were also okay. there. 
Um, yeah, so then I went out to Spain uh, for the Salmon running camp um, three weeks before. And I actually hadn't booked my flights um, to get back from there or to get to America because I wanted to make sure that they didn't change quarantine rules or, or yeah. put Spain like on our like hotel quarantine list of anything. So I booked my flight home from Spain like two days before we went home. And then again, when I got home, then booked my flight to the US. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it came out a week before Canyons. Yeah. Okay, cool. So it was only a, w- a week before and now you get to stay all the way through Western States, which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's talk about the race itself. Um, obviously I, I think that the men's race was maybe a little bit more entertaining and, uh, <laughs> it's mostly because you just put on an incredibly impressive, convincing performance for a victory. You started out with Audrey Tange, who we just mentioned, who's French and, and also traveled over for the race and will also be racing the Western States 100. Uh, and you seem to get separation very early on and ran away, like I said, in convincing fashion. So I, I first just am curious, like, do you normally race with that sort of aggressive style? And if not sort of like what... Uh, made you sort of uh, take that fashion of racing at the Canyons 100K? So no, not at all. I'm I am actually kind of well known for starting very conservatively. <laughs> and so, certainly at the 2019 Western States, I was very conservative. So yeah, 2019, I was very conservative and perhaps, you know, left a little bit too much work to do at the end so yeah I always start conservatively um and the truth is I did not feel like I did start aggressively I I felt like I went off at a pace that seemed sustainable and and I had no idea what was going on behind me I didn't know that I had a big lead I didn't know that I was pulling away from everybody I really had no information at all (laughs) until I got to uh, Deadwood two, which was just 10 miles for the finish. And I, I asked like what the gap was. I, I tried to ask people what the gap was beforehand and everyone kind of assumed I was asking who was ahead of me. And they said, Oh, the next man's like one minute ahead. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like, no, I want to know how far behind the women are. You can never get um, accurate information out there. It's so frustrating. So, so Deadwood two, I was told the gap was 10 minutes. Um, which now I know was inaccurate. So I, I knew I couldn't really, I could maybe relax a little bit, but not that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was really shocked when I finished and I found out the gap was was so big. I had no crew either for the race, which was another reason I had no information. Um, but but yeah, maybe in hindsight, if I'd known what the gap was, I would have like chilled out a bit. <laughs> wow. I mean, Beth, that's incredible. And yeah, obviously we, we've all been there where we're trying to glean information off people who aren't necessarily taking accurate splits <laughs> and then trying to gauge our existential personal crisis on, on the trail and, and how we should be pacing it based on information that is nowhere in the neighborhood of being yeah. accurate. It's <laughs> something we can all relate to, but it's, it's really, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. And obviously points to the fact that you must be in, in great fitness and um yeah the fact that racing without a crew too i mean that's 
a big advantage in races is, is having crew. And, um, especially at your level where aid station transitions, uh, become sort of make and break, uh, moments in the race oftentimes, or when separation can happen. I didn't realize that you were running without crew either. And that makes the, the performance even more impressive. I think, um, are there any other kind of like, highlight or low light moments that you had out on the trail or were, yeah, or did you have any, uh, you know, moments of, of self doubt or was it just a no drama, super strong outing on the trails? No, it wasn't, it wasn't completely uneventful for me. Um, I, I felt great, um, on Cal street going up to forest Hill, like really, really good. Um, and I got to forest Hill and I then had a bit of a blip. I think and maybe I'd just taken it a bit too hard on that long climb up to Forest Hill. So I tried to back off a bit going to Michigan Bluff. Um, and yeah, I didn't feel that great actually um, between Forest Hill and Deadwood too. Like not, not terrible, but just a bit kind of just less, is not as good as I had done earlier on in the race, mm-hmm. which I'm not really sure why. Um, and then on loop six, which is the little, little extra loop you do um, towards the end of the race, I started to feel better again. And, and yeah, felt pretty good in that last 10, 10 mile or eight mile climb to the finish. And yeah, probably, yeah. And that, that last, last 10 miles, I felt as good as I had done earlier on in the race, but actually in the middle, um, yeah, it, it felt hard. It felt really hard. I think, um, you don't really realize, I mean, the the race doesn't have a huge amount of climbing. Um, if, you know, if you compare it to, you know, other, other, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but you don't really realize that you need the downhills to recover Mm. (laughs) between the uphills. So it just felt just, yeah, for that reason, I think it felt really, really hard. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, like it was largely a, a, a really good day. Yeah. So I also heard there was a little bit of a snafu at the finish line where you <laughs> accidentally, like maybe this was the biggest drama that you experienced during the Oh yes, yeah, sorry. Race. It was, it was. Yeah. So, so explain what happened there. I'm just out of curiosity. I know it wouldn't have yeah. really changed too much about your finishing time, obviously not your finishing position either, but describe what, what happened at the finish there with your sort of navigational error and how you corrected it. Yeah. So in the last kind of mile or so to the finish, I had the feeling that something wasn't right. Like I hadn't seen many course markings (laughs) and the course was marked super well, but I just hadn't seen any. And I just knew something wasn't right. And when I finished, so, so prior to that, I could just see Paddy O'Leary like in the trail, like occasionally I'd glimpse him in the, he was wearing this orange t-shirt. So I knew it was him. (laughs) And so I knew he was just ahead of me. And when I finished, he just finished like a minute after me or, or maybe less than that. So when I finished the first time, sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I've definitely taken a wrong turn. And I was like t- asking people like, I need to go and do the right route um, because I've definitely done something wrong here because he uh. should have been ahead of me. So, so yeah, I'd missed a turning like just near the end. So I went back out and did an extra little loop, which was cool because that meant I got to finish cross the finish line twice. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, um, how much, mild, how, much total, how much total time do you think that added to like from, from your, the first crossing of the finish line to the second crossing? 
Um, I think the first time I finished was nine hours, 55 minutes. And then I ultimately finished in 10.01. Yeah. I would say maybe between like three and five minutes or something like that, but I don't yeah. know for sure. Again, you know, it's super impressive, Beth. I mean, that means that you finished or would have finished less than 50 minutes behind the men's winner, Anthony Costales. And obviously like basic, I'm not sure where you were overall, but either in the top 10 or, or close to the top 10 overall. And obviously is a great indication of your level of fitness going into the Western States 100, which we'll talk about in a second. I'm curious just to circle back to something you mentioned before uh, with your, the Solomon running camp in the Canary islands a few weeks before the canyons hundred K. Do you think that may have been one of the secret uh, ingredients to uh, this amazing victory? Just, I'm just putting two and two together with the, hotter, drier climate that probably you experience in your hometown in the UK, training with uh, great athletes, obviously, and your Solomon teammates and doing kind of a, a big volume few days. Was that was that part of the recipe to success? I think it probably was, but I, I was a bit nervous going into Canyons that it had been, I mean, it was a big volume week with a lot of climb very close to the race. So it could have gone either way. Um, I was a little bit careful when we were on the camp to not to not push really hard all, all day, every day. And, and so our days were kind of between 30 and 40 kilometers, but there was always an option to cut a day short. So I did cut a few days short. So I, yeah, I... I knew that I had to be a bit careful. And I think certainly my coach was a bit nervous that it would be a bit too much. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I think actually it paid off. And as I said before, it was my first time in the mountains since, you know, for at least six months. Mm. Um, so I, yeah, I do think it helped, but it was a little risky. Yeah. Cool. Well, now let's uh, look ahead towards Western State, shall we? Uh, we already mentioned that you're in Flagstaff now, and it seems like you're going to basically be staying there between now and the race. What was uh, the strategy behind that decision? Obviously, that there's a lot of history with Western States and champions and people who've performed well coming from Flagstaff. So maybe talk about your decision <laughs> to uh, to go set up camp there for a little while and, and what the plan is as a, as a new resident of, of Flagstaff. So, um, yeah, the altitude primarily, I know that, you know, Western States are not high up for very long, but as I mentioned before, I'm someone that does struggle with altitude. And if I'm not acclimatized, then, you know, being at altitude just for the first 30 miles would probably be enough to take it out of me for the rest of the race. So, yeah, primarily altitude, but also, you know, as I'm yet to find out, really, I'm trying to have some easy days. Like it's a it's a great place to there are just so many trails, like so many trails um, and so, so many like not super big mountains everywhere, like the option to to run flat, run rolling hills, um, a bit of everything. Um, and also um, another factor was, I, I guess, that there's not so much snow here compared to other places at this altitude at this time of year. I mean, luckily it's actually a kind of low snow year, but say if I were to stay around Tahoe or somewhere closer to the course, you at this time of year, you quite quickly run into snow and training isn't as, as productive. 
Right. I think that's one of the reasons why Flagstaff seems to be the place to train for mm. Western states because it is at altitude, but you don't have the snow. It's a bit of a drier environment and you have a little bit of heat sometimes, definitely in the Grand Canyon, you have heat. And obviously it's a great place to prepare for the downhills that you experience on the Western States 100 course. And there's a phenomenal group of athletes in a community there that really help to, to push uh, each other to perform better. Have you connected with the community at all? Or are there are people there that you can train with over the next couple of months? Yeah, there's a, there's a few people um, here that I, I know. Um, and yeah, hopefully my husband will be coming out as well. But he has to go through the same process <laughs> Bummer. that I do. So we don't know exactly when he's going to come out. Um, so I don't actually know how long I'll be in Flagstaff for. The plan is to, if he can come out to then go back to California and do a little bit of uh, training on the course again, and then have a bit of a, what I would call a holiday yeah. Um, yeah. Being, being, being tourists, uh, seeing some other um, places in California. In 2019, we had such a great time just camping in the forest, uh, doing some climbing um, and yeah, just generally having, having a really good time. So that's ideally that's what we'll do again this year. Awesome. Well, in the meantime, you can be a sort of, uh, yeah, an honorary member of the Coconino Cowboy uh, crew there who are all training for Western States. So, uh, I don't think I want to train with them. Yeah, They'll break yeah, me. Yeah, right. <laughs> Probably a smart thing to avoid for sure, but maybe you could go and uh, have a beer with them or a pizza or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, let's let's talk a little bit about your history at Western States. Uh, we've mentioned a couple of times you were fourth in 2019. Um, what did you learn from that experience that you hope to improve on here in 2021? I think in 2019, um, I was I was very aware that most Europeans who come over and race it for the first time don't do that well. <laughs> Sort of like um, Americans going to UTMB for the first time. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. Um, yeah, so I, and, and everyone had said, you know, the race starts at Forest Hill. Like, don't go off too hard. The race starts at Forest Hill. And I ran the race that I had planned to run. I, you know, did did exactly what I set out to do. Um, but in hindsight, I probably should have gone off a little bit more aggressively, um, and perhaps I, you know, could have placed a little bit higher. Um, but that said, you know, I don't, I don't have any regrets or anything. And 2019 was a cool year, so certainly going off harder, it, you know, might not have worked out on a hotter year. Yeah. Well, that's, that's fascinating, right? So obviously, you said that you're sort of known for starting too conservatively sometimes that may have been the case at Western States 2019. And then last weekend you delivered an incredibly convincing victory where at least to the outside observer, it looked like you were racing very aggressively, you know, in sort of like the Pau Capel, Jim Walmsley style. How are you thinking about squaring that circle? How are you thinking about finding the right uh, pacing strategy for Western States between those two polar opposites? Well, I, I don't think I'm going to completely change my racing strategy. 
I hope that I'm fitter than I was in 2019. And because of that, I should be able to place higher. Um, I mean, that's, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I, I hope that's the case. And as I said before, at Canyons, I didn't feel like I was running aggressively. I think I'm just in better shape than I was before. So, so yeah, maybe I'll be a bit more aggressive, but I'm not going to, you know, get to the escarpment first. (laughs) (laughs) Or anything like that. Nothing crazy. We'll hold you to it. (laughs) So so maybe if you, if you can, if you're willing to share a little bit, obviously you're just recovering from a, a big race right now. You've got nine weeks to go until race day. Obviously there'll be a couple weeks of tapering before, before then, have you thought at all about, or have you talked to your coach uh, at all about what the training is going to look like between the recovery and the taper and uh, what you guys are going to be focusing on um, in this final push to Western States? We haven't actually talked at length about it. No, we kind of wanted to see how canyons went. Um, but I I foresee a very long conversation tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I blocked out half the day. So (laughs) yeah. So, I mean, a couple of weeks recovering, then five weeks of solid training and then a couple of weeks taper. Um, yeah, I usually, well, what I think I'll be doing is a lot of kind of long, moderate pace runs on kind of rolling, rolling terrain, um, uh, which Flagstaff is ideal for. Um, something I, and and then downhill running, I think something I suffered with in 2019 was, um, I mean, I don't usually get like trash quads in races like UTMB, but for Western States, I hadn't really trained. I trained for the uphill and not for the downhill. Mm -hmm. So I think I would want to do a bit more specific downhill training as well, or just make sure I think about the, the downhill as training rather than just the climbing as training. Yeah. Um, yeah, Good strategy. So one last question before we we let you go, Beth, I'm super appreciative of your time. It's been super fun to chat with you. And I think this will be a somewhat obnoxious question, just looking further (laughs) ahead, but are you planning to also line up at, at UTMB again this year? And, uh, having done that double and doing it successfully, which is somewhat of an anomaly in the history of, of the sport and the history of the athletes who've attempted to do the double, it usually doesn't work out as well. You were able to do it well in 2019 where you finished fourth at Western States and fifth at UTMB. Are you planning to do UTMB again? And if so, like, how do you approach that type of a double, those two amazing races, races of huge importance and of, yeah, a lot of, uh, significance and history within the sport in such a short succession? Yes, I am planning on doing UTMB. Um, yeah, maybe it's, it's not a great idea, but you know, Western States and UTMB are just the races that excite me more than anything else. So when you've got the opportunity, it's really hard to, uh, to do the sensible thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think that last time I was a bit, the, yeah, the very little amount of time for specific training for UTMB between that and Western States. So like three weeks recovering. And I really felt I, I did a, I did a lap. Um, at the beginning of August as part of a Salomon training camp, we did a lap. Um, but then other than that, maybe like a 
three maybe big mountain days and that was it so I really felt like I hadn't done Mm. certainly hadn't done as much specific training as I would have wanted to do but it largely largely worked out I didn't I know I was fifth but um the the placing doesn't necessarily reflect the experience I I had a terrible time actually but I think that was unrelated that was I had some stomach issues early on Uh. um and then felt like I was running on empty for the rest of the race um but I don't think that was related to the the western states UTMB double specifically um yeah so I would probably approach it the same the same way um yeah yeah who knows it's exciting to see well it's smart right yeah like as you said erring on the side of doing too little and yeah i guess sort of having confidence in the strength that you gain from putting yourself through a race like western states and not feeling like you have to do heroic training i mean obviously like the example i'm thinking of is when jim walmsley broke the course record at western states and then he uh, trained like an absolute maniac for a few a uh, few a uh, couple months i guess between the two races and then came in flat admittedly and i think he learned a lot from that too and i think he's planning to do the double uh, just like you are and i can't wait to watch both you guys at both races it's going to be so fun but beth uh it's great to get to know you congratulations on an amazing amazing run at canyons enjoy your time here in the u.s and uh i look forward to hopefully connecting with you in person at western states Awesome. Thanks a lot, Dylan. It's been a pleasure. Okay, another one in the bank. Thank you so much to Beth for coming on the show and sharing her insights. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. I am so looking forward to seeing how Beth does at Western States. And I think you all should go give her a follow so you can keep tabs on her journey also. Go check her out on Instagram and Strava. I have links to both of those profiles in the show notes. And as always, at least for now, we are a listener supported show. I am really doing my best to bring you guys good content. I'm really trying hard to elevate the conversation around our sport. And if you appreciate what we're doing with the podcast, please go download and subscribe to our app and join our growing and incredible community. If that's too much to ask, I'd really appreciate it if you'd share the show with your friends or go leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. It would really, really mean a lot to me and it would give me a lot of motivation to continue doing the show at the velocity that I want to. Okay. That's it. Until next time. Love you guys so much. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.